This is your host, Sam Jarocki from J-Rock Lawn Care and Gardening. Speaking about all things lawn care, garden related and business wise, whether you do this at home for a bit of fun or if you're trying to break into the business, sit tight and enjoy the podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to another J-Rock Screen Industry Podcast. Here we are on episode 80 with interview with Sam Graham, SGM Garden Maintenance. So back again with another interview, and the whole point of these are to push out other people's stories so that we can find out more about people in our industry, their experiences, and how it may help you at home, the listener. Sam, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Very good, Sam. Yourself, yourself? You all all right? Yeah, all good this side, mate. It's uh, you know, it's getting closer, isn't it? I can feel uh, spring, you know, right over the horizon there. So just trying to get everything sorted my side. How's things been for you? Exactly the same. The bulbs are coming up. We've got snowdrops in full bloom at the moment and everything else is just poking its head up. And like yourself, it's just enjoying the time, you know, the relaxation, so to speak. Now, getting all the uh, everything in line before silly season starts at the start of March. <laughs> That's exactly it, isn't it? It's all the spring rush, eh? It's, it's right there. So, I mean, so Sam, bring us into this podcast. We want to find out more about you, your business, and basically how you handle different things along that journey. If you can just start us off here by telling us a bit about your company, what services you provide, and how that sort of works. Yes, it's no problem at all. Uh, well, I own and operate uh, SGM Garden Maintenance or Sam's Garden Maintenance. And uh, I'm just a one-man band, uh, probably like the majority of you guys. It's just me, myself. So it's me that the customer sort of deals with every day. Uh, I don't have any staff on the payroll at all. As I said, it is just myself. Uh, But I sort of pride myself on being the local friendly gardener. So I have quite a good rapport with my customers. Most of my workers regular work and most of my customers have been on the books from sort of day one really so I've got a good strong base of customers and then the rest of my work has been supplemented with one-off jobs uh, you know as and when it comes but even then people seem to sort of stay around and Mm. keep having me Um, and then start of uh, well it was November last year I uh, decided to start up a separate business, which is an exterior cleaning business. Uh, So the reason I've done all of this is my end goal for my business is I want to be the point of contact for somebody to say, can you do this outside? So basically, they won't have to ring around anybody. You know, all the work for that property will flow through me, so Mm -hmm. to speak. So it's just maximizing Every single customer is maximised on what I can do. And uh, so far with the exterior cleaning, it's gone really, really well, actually. And it's uh, it's proving nice. It's a, a change from gardening. Yeah. I wouldn't say I enjoy it more than gardening, but uh, it's a change. It's something different. But in a way, I'm seeing it as a good thing in terms of future proofing because I don't know what this year is going to be like uh, or even next year. Mm-hmm. So just to be able to have as many strings to me bow, yeah. it's just brilliant. I think that's it. It's uh, you know we've spoke about it quite a lot on the podcast about that. There's so many different services you can bring to the company, 
you know, gardening or grounds maintenance, it can blend into so many different sort of forums of work, you know, whether that be, you know, as we spoke on before, like the pressure washing side of things and tying that in or, you know, as some of the things you're doing, like the gutter work, you know, it's all things that you can, that you see gardeners offer, you know, within the services, like the odd one here and there, you know, how did you, did you find that a very natural, a natural progression to sort of, to start the way you did? Because as we've mentioned just prior there is it's completely separate. It's not like someone will see uh, your advertisement for the gardening work and there will be the lists, sorry, the list of all the other exterior cleanings. These are two completely diff- different companies kind of thing, aren't they, to run side by side? Yeah, well, that's it. I didn't want there to be a huge list that people would look down because I always try and put myself in somebody looking from the outside in, so from a customer's perspective. And uh, I didn't want to crowd a big advert with everything I can do. And my biggest fear is basically jack of all, master of none, because it's a not a it is a way and it isn't a way, but you you might necessarily not see the bloke who's you know mowing the lawn and digging your borders to then thinking he can then do your conservatory to a high standard or yeah. you know clean your carport for you. So I wanted to uh, branch it off separate. So it's almost where all the customers know what I'm doing. So I've looked within my pool of customers and they're told everybody what they're doing. But uh, as I said, it's separate because one can lead to the other. Even when I'm pricing up exterior cleaning work, it's, uh, you know, if people people sometimes say to me, oh, I need to get this, this hedge done and stuff like that. And they seem very surprised when I tell them, well, actually, I am a gardener as well, so I can give a price for that. And uh, the two end up sort of meeting back up in the middle. But for me, I wanted the two separate so I can treat them as separate businesses, see where my time and energy is going. You know, if I do it all as one and all, the money goes into one pot and I'm not keeping proper track on it. And you basically, you could be, you know, down the line, I could be spending a lot of time on something that's not as profitable as the other. I want to know everything really. So I can make the best informed decision further down the line. Yeah, I think even from the marketing point of view, to be able to have a completely separate, you know, there is ways that you can tie it anyway with branding and other things like that. But, you know, from the marketing perspective, you can push them out and keep, you know, two different campaigns completely running simultaneously, but but being aware that they are completely different and keeping checks on, like you say, the performance of them. Because at the end of the day, I think, when you take on a new service, you know, whatever that may be, there's a lot of investment you can push in that direction. You know, so is it the Skyvax, is it? Like yeah, could... I use all Spinner Clean, which is the yeah. Skyvac brand. Uh, it's like any setup. It's it's costly to do. There's cheaper ways of doing it. Yeah. Uh, so there's cheaper systems, but it's what I saw other professionals using, so I stuck with that. Well, it, it's usually a pretty good good starter, isn't it? That when you see so many people use it, you know that it's going to be reputable, you know that it's going to be like efficient to use, it's going to be a decent bit of kit. So, you know, you see these items and you, like I said, that start there, you know that they require a good bit of investment to push in to get that that side up and going. But I generally think it's, it's a fantastic way to kind of look at it and not one, because I've thought about branching, so J-Rock as a brand, as a company, 
in uh, several directions, but keeping it under the same, you know, banner. Whereas obviously you've went for like a multiple banner approach. And it just goes to show, I think, depending on how, how your brain works with it and how you see that vision for the company do it, like, you know, the performance level of it, you know, depends on how you want to run it. And there is more than one way. So just because someone sees something, you know, you hear something on this podcast, for example, or you see someone on YouTube doing something, it doesn't mean you need to direct it that way. There is ways in which you can then, you know, recon, reinvent the wheel to an extent, you know, and and separate them and put your own touch on it and do it in your own way. One question with oh, it then, with, with advertising, I'm guessing, like, so your van, for example, isn't sign written. Would I be right in saying that? It's not, uh, but again, I never wanted the van sign written. Uh, I thought about it, but I decided not to. Uh, but the van itself is a it's a luminous green uh, Vauxhall Vivaro, right? And uh, it's factory painted green, so it's it's not a respray job. But there's not many of them on the road, on the road. and the distinctiveness of that uh, in a way is sort of uh, obviously sign written but yeah. again to have it sign written it's you'd end up having the two businesses probably one on one side of the van and one on the other yeah. and uh, i think in many ways just to turn up in a nice clean modern-ish looking van funky color so it sort of stands out on a drive i think that's my brand opposed to say having everything splashed on the side of the van. Uh, I think it, my personal sort of thought, I think it still looks as professional, basically, mm-hmm. as a sign written van, a nice presentable van, uh, you know, on somebody's driveway. It, to me, it's just as much advertising as it is for, say, having, you know, it's all sign written up. Well, I think that's it. I mean, you become known for them what you've got, don't you? That's the one downside of, you know, like I've got the Transit Custom out there and, you know, it's a lovely looking van. But grey is now one of the most popular colours, I think, out there mm-hmm. for any vehicle. So we completely blend in with the crowd, you know what I mean? I don't unless you looked at our number plate, you wouldn't be able to tell us from probably, you know, ten other different types of trades in my area. So one thing that we are pushed towards is getting our van sign written. And that's the reason why I asked, because you know, that it's a very fair point to just say that we'd split it in half and, you know, advertise both at the same time. I just didn't know how you'd work that if you would have to keep it separate or literally have it on the same side and split it down. But I suppose if that's not even something that that's within your consideration, then it's not a problem. It's never been from day one. Uh, There's loads of reasons for and against it. uh, uh, But for me, at some point, I think it's year three, uh, I want to get a second vehicle on the road. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I probably will get that one sign written, uh, but all in the like delivery of uh, the exterior cleaning, basically. So I'd probably go the other way and get some really like over, not over the top funky wrap, but yeah, I want it to be as distinctive as you know the glowing van. So I'd probably would go the other way with the sign writing for the other van uh, and get that really sort of you know wrapped and yeah. uh, you know just so it's such a strong impression basically so you know i'm going one way and then i'm going completely the other way with another choice but yeah as i said overall though i do think it is a good idea to have your vehicle wrapped and mm-hmm. advertising uh, but there's so many pros and cons against it uh, 
you know, it's it's a whole other subject, really. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, the one point I just thought about then with it is if you're saying you're very well known for, you know, having this luminous colour van already, you could literally have something simple sign written on it, whether it be SGM, you know, literally just the business's name, or a logo that defines the business, and the that exterior cleaning could then be another luminous colour of a different colour, you know, let's just say a luminous blue, like you see on the sort of British gas type of vans. Yeah, yeah, potentially. You know, I haven't got a strong enough online presence to make a logo sort okay. of work, so I'd probably have to then put the telephone number on because there's yeah. no point seeing that it's a gardener's van driving past if they then can't link it up to, say, a Facebook page. Uh, probably put a QR code or something as well. Yeah, uh, they seem big. Because people can walk up and scan it or something or the little Facebook uh, symbol, but with a link to the well, the page, the little short page format thing next to that. Uh, but as I said, uh, I've always just, I've never had a problem with, I've never thought I'm losing out with not yeah. having it. Uh, in a way, that probably would be a quite a good way to go, just to have your, name, your trading name uh, and just probably like the two services next to it. Uh, but I suppose really, it's somebody walking past, they might not want to walk up and engage, you know, they probably think, oh, I'll look that up or something. Yeah. Um, but as I said, it's, uh, I've thought about it. Uh, like I said, next, next van I get, I'll probably will do the, the complete opposite and probably go for a real full floral wrap scene. If I was to do like a, a gardening van and mm-hmm. say with the exterior cleaning, probably again, something real. Yeah, sort of like over the top sort of thing, like a, like a BT van where they've got like the latest show splashed up, but something yeah, on yeah. the uh, exterior cleaning front. Yeah, uh, something like that. It, it's 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 a good way to go, and you know I'm I'm currently in the process actually of of getting mine uh, sign written at the moment, and I actually wanted a photo from my old house, what was a striped lawn, but then it it was within the spring. Well, it was sort of early summer. When all the the summer bulbs are kind of coming into flow, the alliums were still showing there, and then you know the borders were within flower stripes in the background, and I wanted that worked into the sign writing, and yeah, yeah. The only thing I hit, we went back and forward, sent the files loads of different ways, and through a phone picture, he says we just can't get the picture to a good enough quality where it's not going to look pixelated mm. while it's on your van because it was going to be. It was going to be spreading blowing up to yeah, to, like you, you know, know, it's going from a screen size to yeah, it was going to be over a third of it, you know. So we went back and forward over the last. It was just today actually he got back to us and said, you know, we I don't recommend it because I just don't think it looks to the quality that mm. like we want it to be. And I was like, no, I completely understand that. So we've had to back away from that and go for a kind of a plan B there. But what I would say is, if that is something you're going to do, and if you didn't want to use a stock photo. That that was just the mindset I was in. That if I'm going to get my sign my van sign written, I want something that's my own work, something I've created. And unfortunately, I just don't have a single, you know, high enough quality image to to put that forward. It would have to be a stock image, unfortunately. Mm. Um, well, you know, no problem in that. I just wanted to be able to say, you know, take full credit of whatever was on there. And so, yeah, what I was going to say is if it is something you're thinking of and you've got beautiful gardens that you look after, then it might be good to, you know, just try and bank a, a really good high quality picture if it is one. Yeah, yeah. Use. 
just because when as it I said, it would probably if I was going to do it, it'd probably be some like full custom, um, like over the top sort of, you know, like real, like sort of pimp my ride sort. Yeah, of, you yeah. know what I mean. Going towards really that out. sort of side. Yeah, uh, obviously tasteful, but it's. Mm. Um, I want it to the branders. You know, it's distinctive. It's like it's like my uniform. It's a big neon sort of like SGM on the back. It's like I'm a a big guy myself, so I like to think people. You know, when they see, it's, you know, that's the gardener sort of thing. It's yeah. uh, I'm not sort of blending into the background by any means. So uh, I'd want the van, you know, with a future van to sort of mimic that. Yeah. But, uh, well, that was one yeah. of my one of my big things that I remember the first year that I started trading. I, you know, my uniform's typical green, you know, green for a gardener, and you know, I kind of just thought my logo, the writing on the back, it all stick out. And I went to one of my clients, and she was like, "Oh, I, I thought, I thought I just seen you down the road. I didn't think you'd be here until yeah, like you know, park another, another couple hours." And she was, I was like, "Oh no, where were they?" I was like, "I don't think it was me." She was like, oh, black hair, like green top. You know, it was this address, like roughly like this street name. And I was like, oh, no, that that definitely wasn't me. And I kind of hit is like, oh, crud, like I'm completely yeah. blended in with other corners. Yeah, yeah. Around, yeah, you know. park services sort of yeah, vibe. But absolutely. Like I say, great top and then the brightest neon green sort of. Yeah. Uh, it's faded a bit now, but when it was brand new, it really popped. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as I said, it's, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel, but I think sort of standing yourself out, I think whatever you can do that gets you onto their mind, especially if they're on record, like if somebody come round to one of my customers' houses and I was sort of mowing in the background, if I blended in, they might not say anything, but if you say, oh, is that your gardener? Yeah. I hope the customers will then fill in the blank and go, yeah, he is actually, and you know, he does a good job. Do you need somebody opposed to Mm-hmm. Then me blending in, they might not even mention it, and then they won't get that recommendation. Absolutely. I mean, I remember listening to one of the podcasts over in Canada, and they had a guest on. This was a good couple of years ago now, and his his sort of prime way of marketing was that they wear the neon pink t shirts. And yeah, they, I'm not they, averse to pink. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, and this guy was saying, "Look, how, how many gardeners do you know that's like willing? You know, the old school guys." that are willing to put pink on. He was like, it's definitely a thing that, you know, the younger generations kind of don't mind doing more. And he was like, I just wanted to be out there completely different. And he says, we get loads of work from it. You know, all the vans were bright pink, like neon colored. And then, you know, he said he got loads of work from it. That's your brand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. And like, you know, it's noticeable then, but um, Sam, so how did you come across actually starting this career? Then if we start with the gardening to begin with, was this a straight out of school kind of thing or you worked your way into it? How, do, how does that sort No, of no, I, uh, I sort of fell into a job uh, because I, I'm not ashamed to admit it. When I was younger, I uh, was happy sort of coasting. Uh, so staying in a sort of normal job and then sort of coasting through. And I got offered a job looking after a holiday park. Um, and then I started looking after this holiday park and then it was then that I realised that not the harsher realities of work, but if you're in a sort of poor job, it's really sort of limiting how quickly you can get to the things you want, as in getting a house, getting a mortgage. Yeah. 
stuff like that. So I uh, then got more and more driven to do the things I wanted to do, opposed to just coasting through. And then it's with this job I had previous to like before I went self-employed, it was almost the harshness of that. So the place itself was run on a shoestring, but we still wanted the gardens to look nice. And then it got to where I picked up a couple of tools to help me because he didn't have much kit or the kit that they had was knackered. And then if it's summer happened, you got blamed. So I accumulated quite a bit of my own kit. And then somebody said to me, you've got enough stuff. Why don't you do it yourself? Uh, and like I said, I was driven at that point, but not enough. Yeah. Uh, and I think in a way I wanted to sort of shut them up. I said, actually, I've started advertising and that, you know, I think they, with them just asking, it sort of pushed me even more. And then I picked up my first customer because I eventually did a bit of advertising. I dropped some leaflets off and then I uh, put an advert in the paper and then it sort of snowballed. And then for a couple of years, I uh, got to where work was sort of picking up and then the job itself got a little bit easier got a little bit better and then I got a bit complacent and uh, you know I thought actually this job it's turning out all right you know a couple of years I'll be able to get my house all that Uh, and then something happened something happened and money for them was a bit tight and then you realised actually you know what it's a bit of a crap job and then the micromanaging sort of snuck in and then I thought, well, I'm no worse off whichever way I do, because unfortunately, it's jobs now. It's not so much your work ethic. It's the first barrier of entry is your your qualifications. So although I have got qualifications, it's not enough to probably get me a better job than what I'd already been doing. And mm-hmm. the job I'd already been doing, I've sort of pigeonholed into a certain role. Um, so I thought, well, you know, I can either look for another job, but I end up getting the same job. Uh, I did think about retraining, going back to college, because uh, I like my engineering. But then I thought, well, do I really want to be doing, you know, something I enjoy? But I'm then actually doing that day in, day out. Uh, I thought, well, you're being silly. You'd built up your customer base. You've got your tools. So I decided to leave that job and go fully self-employed. So I left me full-time job which to a lot of people they thought it was a good job you know you're working in the peak district you're looking after holiday makers all Mm -hmm. that jazz but like I said it's a job where it was sort of very lowly paid for what it was there was no chance of promotion because my boss was the boss's wife and likewise if I would have moved on to another job uh, you know it would have been the same pay same work and then promotion for that would have been probably in an office which i wouldn't want to do yeah and then you know you're still not on brilliant wage for what you do so i then thought well you know what i'll go self-employed and it's something i've always wanted to do so i left the job at the end of the first lockdown and i knew pretty much i had a couple of days of work but obviously that two days of work wasn't close to the wage i was getting even though it wasn't a brilliant wage yeah so I basically just patted the bushes. So I put the advert back in the paper and I rung around every single person I have done work for in the past. And I just had a chat with them, see how they are. And then I just sort of slipped in at the end. 
that look, uh, I've got some availability. Obviously, I didn't tell them I've got five days availability, <laughs> but I just said I've got some free slots. If you need anything, be in touch. And oh yeah, while you're here, would you give us a price for this? And I'll be honest with you, it sort of turned it around quite quickly, and uh, pretty much within a couple of months, I was up to five days a week because it's. I always think things just sort of turn out. You know, as long as you put the time and effort in. Yeah, you know things sort of just turn out. So yeah, it went to like four or five days, and uh, yeah, and it was all plain sailing for a year. He built the business up where it was, you know, pretty much six days a week, maybe seven because I'd work half a day every other Sunday. Got my first commercial client, and then the first year of me being fully self-employed, I went off as you like to say, man down. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I uh, yeah, fell ill, fell poorly. I had to have a basically, I had a perforated bowel. Uh, won't go into it too much, but uh, it was probably a three months recovery time, and it sort of changed how I had to sort of think about work at the time mm-hmm. and look at work. Uh, and it was quite limiting at the time, but. Uh, I told all my customers what was happening and this happened in September. So it was sort of, you know, not peak season, but there was still a good couple of months. Yeah. So yeah, I was poorly uh, and I was off for three months and then I got better. And then 1st of January, I uh, basically started not back up again, but I rung around my customers, told them, right, I'm better, you know, in air quotes. Uh, oh, no, no, we'll put you on light duties. Don't you worry, Sam. Uh, and they did. They, they made sure they kept the eye on me. And then it just went from there again. So it went, wow. you know, pretty much back to the five, six days. And then last year was the biggest and best for the business. Every year it's improved. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's about two years, two and a half years crammed into a lot of words. So, yeah, that's <laughs> it. Start to sort of present day. First thing is how fantastic that your clients looked after you again. I mean, before we hit record in this podcast, me and Sam were speaking about that. You know, Sam likes to, you know, do everything he can for his clients. And he, you know, he builds up such a strong rapport for with his clients that, you know, there's that trust element there and that there's a real relationship there with the clients. And, you know, things like that completely show up for not only them to back you and like understand that, you, you know, you're stepping on one side for health reasons to begin with. But to then take you back and then be like, look, we'll, you know, we'll get the, we won't just chuck you straight in the deep end. We'll, you know, kind of. Oh, no, they were, they were literally uh, mothering in a way. And it was, <laughs> it was very appreciated. Uh, as I said, it's, it's a business track transaction first and foremost. I'm, I am here to sort of make money, you know. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you can, you know, show genuine bit of care for people and all that. I know it's not the best way to run a business but it works for me yeah um, and as i said people look after me and i look after them that's how i see it and unfortunately as we go along the journeys we get people who you know they try and take a little bit more than they give and well we have to part ways with them you know as we go across but by and large the customers the regular customers are very good very trustworthy they lead me to it. they know i can do what they need to they trust me uh, and that's the arrangement. Yeah. So, so what is the general layout of the garden business then? Is it is it general, you know, garden maintenance as a whole, or do you have just 
grass cutting clients, some sort of mixed, some general maintenance. You know, how, how does that sort of split work? How it is at the moment, it's sort of midpoint of my journey. So I will have a couple of days of mow and goes. Uh, so it'll just be grass cutting. Uh, so I do this like on a block a fortnight. So probably once a week, I'll have one day of grass cutting. Uh, and then I'll have a couple of days of looking after just general maintenance. So I'll be there, uh, beds, borders, lawns, basically uh, a lady, a man, they, they either can't do the garden anymore or they don't want to, they'll just leave the garden to me. And to be fair, they actually leave the whole property to me. Uh, and they'll just say, just keep an eye, look after it. So, you know, once a year it'll get power washed. Once a year the gutters will be done. Uh, every two weeks, the borders, the lawn will be done. Basically, they sit and they don't have to worry about anything outside. Yeah. And then I've got some commercial work. So I'll be looking after a showroom, uh, doing their property once every three weeks. Uh, I look after a pub garden, look after a solicitor's. Uh, and then I'll have the one-off work, which will be hedges, a uh, bit of hedge work, a little bit of tree work. I don't do too much of it, but you know, if, if I'm capable and it's safe to do so, I will do it. Yeah. Uh, and then hopefully this year it will be a mix of exterior cleaning. It was for the past couple of months. It was all that, uh, but interspersed with the odd gutter, the odd, you know, conservatory yeah. clean, stuff like that. So I try and tick all the boxes as I can outside. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. How do you find the three weekly appointments? Now, <clears throat> the reason why I ask is one client that I have... Uh, I had I picked them up sort of middle of last year. They're a pretty good client. It should only take an hour. You know, they charged in at £65 a grass cut. You know, it's a fairly large garden. And, you know, I upped their prices this year simply on the basis, and I spoke about it before, that she likes to have a natter. Now, I don't mind a natter, but this natter wasn't a 10-minute natter. It was, you know, an hour's job was turned into two, two and a half because of the mm-hmm. talking that I couldn't really escape. Anyway, because of this price increase, they wanted to change to three weekly appointments. And, you know, I considered it in the beginning, but when I truly sat down and looked at the schedules, it just, there was no way to to fit it. In my eyes, there was no way for me to fit it in a sort of a rolling schedule where the root density kind of clicked into place as well. Because where she would be one week with a slot, She's then there, not the next. And then, you know, when she comes back around, it's on a different, it can be on the same day, but, you know, it could fall on a day that's already full. How did you manage that? I don't have many people like that, Uh, but I find you've got to, you've got to basically, in their eyes, do what you can to accommodate them. If you want to keep them, that is. Yeah. Uh, If people have made the choice to go from two to three, it could be, be any number of reasons but whatever it is they're set up on it there's nothing you can do unless you drop your price and you know what mm. I mean do what they want it's going to be three weeks so you've got to sort of try and entertain them as much as you can but in reality you've got to do what's best for your business so I have people like that uh, you just got to price it accordingly so you're not doing yourself out because how I see it is, is going from two weeks to three weeks, there could potentially be 50% more grass there. Yeah. Like if you're looking at it on a percentage. Uh, so you could be there a third of time longer. So you've just got to price it well, well to begin with. 
Uh, and like I said, you've got to get it to work for you. So literally, if I have something like that, I'll keep it as, you know, when it fits in, it fits in. If yeah. it is that I have to just chuck it in anywhere, you know, when, when literally when I've got a free time, as long as it's in that three-week gap. So whether it's the first, first job or whether it's chucked in in the evening, then, well, yeah. that's what they've got. That's me compromising. That's how I'd right. sort of approach it. So it doesn't matter um, if it's on the 17th day or if it's on the 24th day, it's whenever it would sort of just set best with your schedule. That's when you'd get If in. somebody wants it, yeah, every yeah. three weeks, it'd be 21 days from the last visit. And then if it sort of coincides, because some people, they do it because they think it's going to save them money. So sometimes yeah. they might only get one visit a month. Sometimes they might get two visits a month. Um, so like I said, I just do it in a block. So I'll look three weeks from one day and then just sort of pencil it in. If yeah. it is that, oh, well, I've got that full day. Well, unfortunately, it's the last job of the day. So I could be there, you know, five, six o'clock. Uh, so, it's, you know, as long as it works, you can't be over the top saying, right, I'll be there at, say, six o'clock first line. You know what I mean? You've yeah, got to yeah. work in, but you've got to cover. At the end of the day, I'll do as much as I can to accommodate people, but I am here to run a business and hopefully a successful business. So if I have to compromise, then it's, it's you know, if a customer wants to change it, it's it's up to them to sort of, you know, accommodate it as best. But I had it last year when people wanted to go from fortnightly, then they wanted to go to monthly. And it's like, well, I'm going to have to alter the price. And then they said, well, actually, can we do it once every six weeks? And but, some yeah. people just, just want things for nothing. Yeah. And so... And unfortunately, it's customers like that you you have to put up with, or you have to just sort of part ways with. Yeah, well, I mean, and that was kind of my stand on it is that I just simply, I, I, like I say, I took a bit of time. I never replied. <clears throat> I looked at my schedule, and this is what I would advise to anyone that hits any form of obstacle or situation in the business is that you don't just quickly email back and be like, "Yep, that's fine," or "No, it isn't," or you know, say anything, sit down, have a look at your books, see what works. And when I, you know, when I took that gap away from, and I even put it on the Lone Care Legends pages, like, does anyone do this and how do you find it? You know, I just found that I couldn't see consistency in it working for me. And before this point, my rule was always a two week minimum. So I simply just mm -hmm. got back in touch and said, you know, unfortunately, let's just use the name Jane. Unfortunately, Jane, we only offer a minimum of fortnightly. You know, and so just to cut it off straight away, and it was, you know, you're being nice about it, being professional, but, you know, our policy is this, and this is what we, you know, stick with. And it was one of them that at the end of the day, you got to realize that you want to do everything for your clients, but sometimes when you can't, because it's not going to, you know, I know everything can't benefit you 100%, but when it just doesn't make sense to you and your business model, you know, you can let them go, you know, and they will find someone else that will one, maybe do it, you know. People, People don't like being told no, yeah. no matter how much they love you or if they just put up with you. They don't like being told no. Uh, but my sort of prediction for this year, I actually think we're going to see a rise of people saying, can we have it once every three weeks? Yeah. Uh, whether it's the cost of living or, you know, bit shorter money or they think they're shorter money. Uh, I think the papers have a lot to sort of, like blame because if it's in you know the, the newspaper eye this cost this uh, cost of living yeah. people think it applies to them and then they make a snap reaction yeah uh, so I've had people where they come out and they say well we're going to have to 
uh, you know, drop down the services. I said, well, how about we just take it fortnightly to fortnightly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, visit to visit. And I'll be honest with you, it never changes because they just sit and think about it. <laughs> uh, like you say, don't don't sort of react there and then. But like you said, looking at your schedule, I think if you put it to pen and paper uh, or you look at your schedule, it sort of puts everything into the bigger picture. That's how I see it. Yeah. No, that's it. And, you know, it's one fine point to just sort of stay ahead of the game. But what we'll do here is we'll just take a little quick ad break and we'll just go to our sponsors. That is Total Loan for this podcast. We'll hear from them and we'll be back in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Total Loan. Total Loan provides scientifically engineered loan care products to homeowners, hobbyists and loan care professionals. Their range of fertilisers and biostimulants will keep your loan looking lush, green and moss-free all year round. I use Total Loan products for my customers and on my own loan and I think you should too. The team at Total Loan put quality above anything else when they're producing their loan feeds. They use ingredients that are rarely if ever used by their competitors to give you the best loan possible. Try Total Loan today at totalloan.co.uk and use code Care at the checkout to receive 10% off your whole order. Total Loan are so confident in their products that you can use them on your loan and if you're not happy with the results you can get in touch with them up to 90 days later for a full refund. Go to totalloan.co.uk and transform your loan. Right, welcome back everyone after that short ad break there. So, Sam, the first thing I want to kick off with here is obviously you've got two businesses sort of going on at the same time. Going back to the gardening one, what is the hardest thing you found when coming into the business? Was there something that you found, you know, caused a bit of resistance or a hard avenue to sort of chase after for you? What was that thing? For me, it was uh, my own sort of things in my head, what I put in way of things, because when I sort of resolved them, it was uh, nothing spectacular that I did to sort of resolve them. So for me, uh, at the start, I'll be honest with you, it was plant knowledge. I honestly thought that would limit me as a gardener because, you know, a gardener doesn't know every single plant. But then I quickly realised that, not very, very many people actually want somebody who knows every single plant. Mm-hmm. The majority of people just want somebody who can tell the difference between an aspiring flower and a weed, shall I say. Yeah. Uh, but then I quickly found out that some weeds are actually some people's flowers and they enjoy having them around. <laughs> um, and uh, then I realized that some customers, you know what? They just want somebody to do the job. Yeah. So it doesn't matter whether, you know, you know everything about this uh, hedge. They just want it cutting. Yeah. So once I got over that, it was, uh, that was one sort of hurdle I uh, got over. Uh, Another one, actually, and it took me the probably the longest part in my business, and I think other people definitely suffer with it, is saying no. Uh, you have to, you think sometimes you have to do every single job. So you might get a job where it's physically a nightmare to do, not so much the people, or the, you know, what they're telling you to do, that you don't like it, but the job itself is hard and, you, you know, you really should back away from it. Uh, and then the flip side to that is there's jobs that I didn't think I would do. And then me not saying no, actually, I'm glad I did say yes to it, opposed to saying, no, I won't do that, I can't do that, or 
And you never say you won't do that, but you'll always say, I can't do it for whatever reason. There's yeah. jobs where I have actually said, yeah, and I've instantly regretted it, but they've actually turned <laughs> out to be one of the most beneficial jobs for my business. It's taught me sort of what I'm capable of, and uh, it's actually led on to sort of bigger and better things. So I think basically the answer is, what physical or sorry mental limitations you put on yourself as a business owner that's my been my stumbling block and it's what i've managed to get through yeah you know i 100% agree with you and that first point there that you made about knowing every every single plan it's it's something that i believe you know when you first come into it it's in the back of many people's heads like you know should should we know every single plan if you're going to Call yourself a gardener that does gardening, then should mm-hmm, that mean exactly. that you should, you know, be basically a horticulturist? And what I, I kind it, of sorry, go ahead. I had it with uh, hydrangeas. <laughs> I remember one of my first jobs. Uh, somebody asked me to put back plant wise. She was saying that she's very proud of her hydrangeas and she wants to me to cut them back for her. But she told me because uh, I explained to her, look. I'm not brilliant on all things horticultural. You tell me how you do them. And she says, yeah, no problem. So she told me how to do them. And I thought, right, I'm going to learn as much as I can about the uh, the humble hydrangea. So I watched, if there was a snippet on it on Gardener's World, I watched that. I looked on the RHS site and I tried to do as much sort of info as I can. And then ever since then, it has been a customer has either told me the complete opposite of that or the <laughs> complete wrong way of doing it. And if that's the way that a customer wants doing it, so if they want it cutting back to the bare ground in September, just as it finishes flowering, and then they want it then cutting back to the ground when it sort of buds up in the new year, that's what they get done because that's them tallying. Uh, it's sods law that if we were to deviate and go onto my plan, it would end up not flowering. Yeah, if a customer tells you, you do it. So I've quickly realised that everybody has got their own way of doing things. Obviously, some things you've got to do right, fruit trees, uh, roses. But by and large, people have their own way of doing things. So just ask them, be honest with you. If you can't do something, just tell them. Don't try and blag it or look at the RHS and then read that verbatim to them because they'll look at you like you've gone out. If if they want hydrangeas, cutting to the ground twice in a year then that's what you do yeah i think it's a it's a strange one isn't it it's it's something that you feel or or maybe speaking for myself yeah i i felt that you just need to be all over and it's not until you get a bit of experience being within it that you know i figured you know i i'm not a horticulturist you know and i've said it so many times and that's because i think the fact that you're a gardener sometimes overlaps with the fact that you're you're trying to be a horticulturist or, you know, horticulturist part of your business. And although it's definitely in there, of course it is, you know, we are pr- doing pruning work. We are sort of creating borders. You may be even doing border design, you know, fantastic. But, you know, where your plant knowledge is, I would say the more you have, the better, definitely. But it doesn't oh, have definitely. to, it doesn't have to make you for, you know, it doesn't have to make you and your business. And I found that, I prefer the term of just, you know, garden maintenance specialist or grounds maintenance yeah. specialist because I that's how I see myself is that I'll go in and I'll tidy up the areas that you want tidied up. And like this, like you said there, nine times out of ten, the customer just wants an area tired, uh, tidied. Yeah. 
you know, the perennials. Exactly. It's, uh, it's it can be very limiting sometimes. Yeah. With 100%. what uh, knowledge. I've had it with roses before where a customer, they could be beautiful with time, but they've been let to grow and they've mm. gone huge. They've gone woody. They've gone overgrown. And, uh, you know, Alan Titchmarsh will probably, you know, have a heart attack seeing a bloke, big bloke, cutting him with a, a long-reach hedge trimmer, you know, <laughs> cutting him down. But that's what the customer wanted. The customer, they've been let to grow everywhere. They're growing over the path. They're hooking everybody up. Uh, she could either, you know, pay me to be there all afternoon pruning them out, but no, she wants it doing quickly. Yeah. And she wants them back into a shape. And sometimes you've got to do, and trust me, I'm thinking, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. Uh, you know, looking around if someone's looking over the fence while you're doing it. But unfortunately, you've got to do what you've got to do. And you've got to do what the customer tells you, even if he says that, you know, massively wrong. You've just got to do it within mm. reason. Yeah. I always advise. So if a customer asks me to do something, I know it's going to turn out bad. I will always advise him. And just let them know, just so it covers my back. And if they listen to me, they listen to me. Mm. Uh, if they don't, well, you've just got to go. But always covering your back as much as you can. I'll never do a job uh, that I know will turn out looking really horrific. I'd always advise and I'd probably walk away from it. Because, mm. like I say, with the brand and the image, I don't want to walk away from, you know, if somebody asks me to scarify when it's the completely wrong time, I don't want that lawn to look horrific and they see me doing it yeah. because it's an advertisement I see. So I don't want that. So as I said, you've got to work with the customer and advise them. But, you know, they'll ask you to do all these sort of things and too much knowledge sometimes can pigeonhole you. And like I said, people don't like being told no. If a certain mm. type of hedge needs cutting at a certain type of year and it needs to be, you know, cut at that wrong time, you can either stick by your knowledge and lose the job or do it yeah. and keep the customer happy so it's a delicate balance this gardening world i think i think you're right it's uh it's something that as long as you do advise is is my main thing is that i would always try and go across and advise a client that you know this is the best way to do it blah 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 and you know what i found i think nearly every time i've ever done that is they've went all oh, right okay and, and then they've just trusted me you know, a lot of the yeah. times I hear exactly that. Just, you know, we trust you to get on with it. Whatever you think needs to be pruned at the moment, just go ahead and do it. You know, and there's that there's that ownership to be, you know, it's on you, you know, no pressure, you know, you go do you. And, you know, I've found that would be very beneficial to have that sort of relationship with the client. But what it have you found? Time. Yeah, oh, absolutely, 100%. What have you found then going from setting the gardening work up obviously you've mentioned there that the biggest sort of obstacles in your way were the ones that you created with now setting up this second company have you found that resurface at all or has there been a totally different set of sort of obstacles that's or the hardships that have you've been faced with no not really if i'm being honest with you there's no <laughs> um no because I put a lot of thought into everything behind the scenes. So I'm not questioning whether my kit will fail me because I've invested in good kit. I'm not worried about, you know, will I 
clean somebody's conservatory with this cleaner and stain it? No, because I've done, you know, the appropriate sort of research. Uh, I suppose the biggest one is pricing, but how it is with pricing, I'm finding us as gardeners think we're sort of capped at a certain hourly rate, but then I'm finding with the exterior cleaning, you could do, say, a one-off clean and it can be a lot more than the gardening, and people are actually really willing to pay it. Yeah. Uh, so, like I said, with the pricing, I've tried to sort of come in between. So I'm not charging as much as, say, the real big boys, because they're charging just absolutely outlandish fees. Uh, and at the same time, I'm not, you know, the job and knocker. I'm, like I say, I'm trying to provide a, a good quality service. So, no, there's no, no real limitations at all. It's... Uh, how it is at the moment it's a it's a sort of a different world i've only had one rude customer everybody else it's been very unusual where you walk up and you give them the price you say yeah brilliant they let you do it and then you go away and then that's it it's uh it's been a bit different than the gardening where almost sometimes you'll you'll give a price and they'll sort of not haggle you but they'll think about it no in this case it's been yeah do it well Uh, I think the issue with it is that people's been gardening or lending a hand to people's gardens for a very long time now. So it's probably went from your neighbour across the road used to help them out and then it's went into, oh, look, we'll just, you know, I'll cut your loan for a fiver for a tenner or kids have done it for a fiver or for a tenner. And Mm. it's kind of, I feel like only in the last, you know, maybe 10 years has it been seen as more of a, People are doing it as a full-on professional, and I don't. I'm not dissing anyone that's maybe done that in the past. But what I'm saying is, in the value of it, you know, I don't think people were charging, you know, thirty pound an hour, you know, ten year ago, fifteen year ago, or at least not as many people as what's doing it now. So I think a lot of people still got it in the head that it should only be a fifteen pound grass cut or a fifteen pound an hour, and that you know, why would I pay any more than that? Because it's been on for such a long time. Or that at least everyone's done it themselves. That's the other one. When people's got experience of doing their own gardens, they know exactly how long their garden takes to cut, how the borders are to prune, you know, and they know they've got experience in it. So, but when so it's they something... might then apply their hourly rate. So you've got to remember, yeah. some people could be retired for twenty years, and they might be thinking back to when they were working. Yeah, uh, they were probably on what was a good wage back then is nothing now because of obviously inflation, and they might be thinking, "Well, I wasn't like, yeah, on that much when I was working." So, a chap might come up and you know give a price. Uh, but like I said, it's very rare I give hourly prices anymore. Mm-hmm. But I have found there's been a rise in people working out hourly prices, shall yeah. I say, uh, and then applying it to their own. So. I've not had it as much, but you see a lot on Facebook groups where people are wanting price breakdowns and they're wanting to know basically what the hourly rate is. And I think in a way, it's sort of compare it to their own. And yeah. I think, unfortunately, us gardeners are still seen as a, not the bottom of the pile when it comes to you know self-employed tradesmen, but we're nowhere near what, say, plumbers and sparkies have uh, in terms of, you know, credit and all that jazz and yeah i think we probably put in okay you know we don't go to college for years and all that jazz we could do uh but look how much we invest in our own business and our own mm. kit it probably rivals that of any sparky or any plumber 
Um, and the relevant insurances say it's, as I said, that that's my personal opinion. I do yeah. think the general Joe blog still sees us as, you know, just the chapel or mow a lawn, not in fact that we're actually all providing a, a damn good professional service. Yeah, well, I honestly think it must be one of the only trades out there where you can go to college and then university or go in as in-depth as you want and then be an assistant head gardener, you know, at a fancy, you know, say Castle and Gardens and be on 35 grand a year to 30 grand a year. And, you know, that's you fully called up to the eyeballs. You know, you're not in the head position because you might be on a bit more then. But, you know, you're, you're sitting around that point. Or you could literally just be doing grounds maintenance and you could be making, you know, 40 to 60 grand a year, you know, whatever it might be. And you could be making a lot more. Whereas if you, if you go and do horticulture and you get called up to the eyeballs and then you go into grounds maintenance, there's, there's no, no one pays you anymore to, to be that much more educated. The customer's eyes, it's, this is, the unfortunate part is you could have a, a greenkeeper for 45 years experience. Yeah. He's put himself through every single qualification. He's got the best, biggest, brand new East Weebang. Yeah. And then you could have, you know, a local lads, job and knocker, uh, and they will be put on the same level in some people's opinion. Yeah. Not no, all of I mean, them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that's what I sort of, aggravates me mm-hmm. um, but then other trades are put on sort of pedestals I, you know I'm not jealous or nothing like that with other trades but I think us gardeners you know we deserve you know just to be put a bit higher up on the ladder shall I say yeah yeah no it's a complete fair show and I think that's exactly what I mean by it is there's a lot of experience that goes into it and by all means get qualifications you know call yourself up as, as much as you physically can but the, the reality is with it is you could go at the same job, be the same person, you know, one's got all these qualifications, one doesn't, quoting for the same job, and, you know, it doesn't matter who, no one really asks that qualification question, or at least, you know, in my yeah. eyes of, um, you know, my last three seasons, no one's turned around and said, you know, have you got this or have you got that? It's all just when you walk through and, you know, you step over a nice van and, you're dressed as a gardener, you've got a good interaction skill, you can talk them through the job, how you might do the job for them, what the finished result might look like. You know, they're kind of sold. I'm not saying they're going to take the job on, but they're sold on you as the contractor. And mm-hmm. I just find it really strange that there's such that difference because I would never get a Sparky to rewire my whole house and him be like, you know, I've you know, I just started myself, I'm, I'm sort of self-teaching. I would be like, that's fantastic, mate, but you're not rewiring my whole house. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I would seek a qualification for that. So it's just a strange, it's a strange trade to be in. But I think that's also the luxury in that if you want to start up and you want to get going with it, don't hold anything too much in front of you. You know, if you're listening to this now and this is going to be your first season ahead of you, then, you know, believe in yourself. All these things that we're talking just about. Gotta go for it. Yeah. The just worries, gotta, don't take on you know? too much. Don't lie to the customer or try and BS them because they'll work it out. Yeah. Just be honest. If it is that you can't do it, just tell them why. Uh, and you'll quite often, especially if it's something technical, you'll quite often find that the person, the homeowner, that's the horticulturist. She knows every plant in a garden. She just wants somebody to 
mow the lawn, turn the beds over, and then under direction, she'll tell you what to do. Uh, that's how I found it. But I think us gardeners, I think we'll get our day soon. I think if we keep being professional, keep providing a good quality service, uh, charge accordingly, I think there's nothing worse than people undercutting and charging low because that, then that sets a precedent for every other gardener who then has to go after them. Uh, I think if we all charge, not a universal price, but a good price to keep you know, the majority of us in a living, I think the tide will rise and it will rise for all of us. Yeah, that, that's the greatest thing about it. So Sam, what is your plan going forward then? Obviously you've got this this great thing with the two businesses running side by side. What's the plan in the next five years? Where do you hope to sort of elevate to or where do you see yourself going? I've not fought for five, I've fought for three. Go for uh, three. <laughs> But yeah, for three years, it's run the two businesses concurrently, uh, build it up as much as it can. And whenever it hits that point where it's starting looking viable for a staff member, so I'm not going to wait till three years and turn two years worth of work away. So say in this first year, if it starts getting really busy, I'll then carry it over. And if the second year is the same, then it'll be the next sort of progression, which will be looking for, say, a staff member. So how it is for the first couple of years, it's uh, basically just to build a bit, both businesses, keep both businesses, grow the customers, so concentrate down the customers. So instead of picking up little bits here and there, if I know I've got a lot of exterior cleaning work coming, I can then, unfortunately, look at sort of getting rid of some of the lower-paid customers or the faffy jobs, shall I say, and then, you know, focusing on getting, say, commercial work or bigger work in. And then, you know, getting both businesses sort of then operating at the best possible level. And then if it is that it comes to it where, you know what, I'm turning work away from both sides, I can then sort of look into getting a staff member perhaps. And definitely within the next couple of years, I want to be putting a second vehicle on the road. Um, there's nothing worse than trying to keep, you know, brushes and cleaning equipment clean when you're then pushing a, a mower next to it with grass blowing off all over it. It's, yeah, yeah. I said the two work in many ways, but you've got to be sort of trying to keep stuff clean. So short term, two, three years, get a second van. And then anything longer than that, or if it comes sooner than that, um, you know, if I think in two years' time I can support a staff member because I'm turning work away, then yeah, I'll take the plunge and we'll get that second vehicle on the road and uh, we'll get a staff member trained up and I'll probably have them doing probably more of the exterior cleaning or if they are from a gardening background, probably get them helping with bigger jobs and then that frees me up. I just have to see, really. Yeah, I, I think it's a sort of... It's a very wise me. way... To, no, I was just going to say, it's a very wise way to go, isn't it? Waiting until there's enough there to kind of keep then to go again, it's this sort of balance of, yeah. of growth and also understanding what, what the business currently holds. And, you know, I, I feel very fortunate to some degrees that, you know, there's a, there's a fantastic gardener in in my local area that, you know, she services quite a lot of areas and she does it very well. And, you know, she's going to come and give me a hand whenever she sort of can do this year. And hopefully that's going to be the first sort of step for myself pushing in that direction but I think that's all you can ever hope for is that regardless what order 
it kind of works in. The person that does come on board is sort of investing in doing a good job like what you are. You know, my my biggest fear with bringing on employees, what I'm sure I'm going to face at some point with what my business model is, is that I'm going to get someone that just isn't motivated for the work. And, you know, I plan on paying very well for, you know, for the people that come and work for me. I do not want to pay anyone minimum wage ever, to be honest with you. That's my plan. And with that, I would hate to give that to someone that hopefully what I can call an opportunity, you know, let's say an apprentice, for example, and then them come in and just not be bothered, just come in to collect a check and not be fussed. It's the dice roll, isn't it, with staff? It's, Absolutely. Uh, you'll either get bangers or you won't. The, how I <laughs> thought about phasing it in is taking on, say, someone on a part-time basis, you know, self-employed. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you can keep your eye. You could see what they're like if they're still willing to put the work in. You know, and it's nothing's guaranteed, but they're still putting the work in. And, you know, you can give them a little bit of trust and then probably set them up another day, another day. Uh, You know, if they're trustworthy, you might even say, well, I've not got four, I've got four days, but I've not got five days. Mm -hmm. You know, how about you see if you can find that fifth day and then use my kit and, you know, not give me all the money, you know, but a percentage and see if them works hand in hand. But then, you could take on somebody that could set up and take some. You, you just, it's a dice roll, I think. Staff is. I really do. It's. Uh, it's you know, there's some people have great success, but then some people don't. But somebody who's a lot bigger in business than me and a lot better at business than me, he says, you know, if you want to make the money, you need to get staff. Mm-hmm. There's only so much that I can do. There's only yeah. so much you can do, and it's. It's like for me, if I go man down again, then well. You know, my work stops overnight. So maybe yeah. if I've got somebody on a part time and, you know, you've got people trusting around you, you can then sort of get them doing a bit more and get them to take the reins. It's it's one of them, unfortunately. You just gotta take that plunge. Yeah. Worst comes to the worst, you'll probably hire somebody, there'll be a month, they'll do a rubbish job, you sack him. Uh but you explain to the customers, you just be honest with them, you say, look, this chap I thought he was good, I'm sorry he's let you down, but it's me now. Uh, and then, you know, you'll build the bridges back up again, I think. Yeah. So you just got to go for it. With that, Sam, you know, when you did go through what you did, when when you are, as you, as you put it, uh, <laughs> man down for the three months, what, what changed coming out of that? You know, did you look, because I know there's things out there, and I've been thinking this lately, you know, you can get these insurances that they'll pay you a monthly wage, you know, depending on how <clears throat> how your business sort of performs and what you're used to being paid. They can cover your wages while you say like break a leg or whatnot. Have you looked into anything more or have you put sort of a a, a rainy day pot to one side since that sort of happened? What what have you changed? I've always I've always been a saver. Uh so I've never pushed myself you know, beyond what my means are. So I've always put money away. Uh, and I talk about this all the time. You've got to save, save, save. Even if you think you've got winter work, put money away for winter, put money away for this. Um, so I was all right financially. Uh, you know, I could live off what money I'd saved. Um, what it sort of taught me is that if it happens again, it, you know, it happens again, you've just got to, like I say, keep saving. Don't stretch myself too thin. Uh, ironically enough, when I was poorly, uh, my public liability insurance renewed and uh, 
I spoke to ladies. Uh, I have mine through the NFU. Yes, I know I'm paying a lot more than I should. But anyway, I like the NFU. They are good. And uh, she actually said to me, she says, uh, you know, we have got a sickness cover in place. And I says, well, if I take it out, would I be covered if this happens again? Because uh, it's more likely with what's happened to me. She says, no, we can't cover uh, known illnesses that you've got. I says, okay, but I've got to go in hospital again this year. Uh, would it cover me again? She says, no. I says, okay. I says, I'm more likely to get a hernia, which is not related to what's happened, but it could be brought on by it. She says, well, you won't be covered. So oh, by that sort of thing, it's, you know, yeah, I can take cover and say if I break my leg, I probably will be covered. But again, it's a, it's sort of a roulette, isn't it? And I think insurance, insurance companies if they can get out with pain really well and then how do you go about sort of you know justifying what you're earning like for me I jokingly said NFU I'm paying more for what you know it is more expensive that's what everybody says and when I tell people what the insurance is costing like oh well mine's a tenth for that cost or a half of that cost you know everybody has got it super cheap but at least with the NFU, I can go in branch and ask them these questions. I don't have to wait on, you know, a phone call. And they were yeah. very honest. So I did actually, I was able to form a decision there and then whether it would be worth me having it. And I, I haven't, I've still not done it. I don't think it would necessarily benefit me. Mm. Uh, I did think about it, but my situation's different. For me, I'm on my own. Yeah, uh, I still live at home. You know, I've got no dependencies. Would I say for you getting it? I'd say, yeah, go for it, because you've got a family, you've got a mortgage. You know, I I don't know your medical history, but you're a young, strapping lad, so I'd say, yeah, go for it. (laughs) Yeah, well, Uh, I mean... me. Sorry, go on. Sorry, mate. No, carry on, buddy. I know, I was going to say, well, that's only one thing that, because of what you've just listed there, you know, it's one reason that when we done our... When we came into this new house and we redone our home insurance... We went for the critical illness cover as well, which, you know, wasn't yeah, cheap. Yeah. Best part of £100 a month, I suppose. But, you know, it, it's for the things of, you know, the things that you don't want, like cancers and things like that. It covers you. But my mm. my main stream of it was I've got the critical illness side, but I don't have anything for, like, general illness or injury, you know. So I might get a payout yeah. if I literally the break something. Yeah. Like, you might get a payout, what's, what's great, but, you know, let's say you pay me 10 grand for breaking my leg. Fantastic. Thank you. But what if I then can't work efficiently for the next nine months? You know what I mean? That isn't yeah. going to cover everything. So what I was they always looking... get the money back, the insurance company oh, yeah. anyway. So 100 percent, 100 percent. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> it's, all, it's all right. Uh, no, well, that was my thought with it was like, you know, it can't be fully trusted. For example, when I got the old uh, Ford Transit Custom there, you know, they rang me up straight after, just as my warranty was about to run out, doing a take on extra warranty, it'll cover you for this, that, the other. I thought, fantastic, yeah, go for it. 250 quid, whatever it was, for the year. And um, <clears throat> what happened is the gearbox went. And mm-hmm. on the policy, the gearbox is covered. It says gearbox. And when I rang up to tell them about it, they said the gearbox is actually only covered in small print if it fails all of a sudden, like as in you're driving, completely breaks. Because I had told them in a previous call that it was slipping in and out of gear, 
they said that isn't instant. It, it started to go, but never broke yeah. instantaneously was the word that they yeah. used. Yeah. They never... are pesky little buggers. Oh, are. So I was like, I've been paying you 250, you know, 250 quid for the year. Policy holder of this, that, and the other. It says gearbox, and you get me out on a technicality. And they're like, yeah. yeah. Took them to the financial ombudsman, and nothing changed. So I am a bit wary of it, but I believe yeah, having it's... something will be better than nothing. It's the same with me, with like my condition, the perforated bowel. Um, I had to have a Hartman's, which is a big op, and uh, there's so much things that could be attributed back to that. And the, the lady herself said this. She says, you know, in fact, a- anything could trace back to that. Yeah. So, like, anything in my whole stomach area and up, you know, could be attributed back to that. And I'm not saying that if I had the cover and I did go sort of poorly again, they might cover it, but then just at the same time, they might say, well, actually, no, it's been because it's a known condition. We can't. Yeah. And so, as I said, for me and probably for the majority of people, how I see my sort of thing is I've, it's up to me to control my destiny. So yeah. if I had a family and like yourself, Sam, it's, it's you that controls your world. So you can't rely on other things coming into place. So for me, I save for winter. I save for from poorly. It's like my van. It needs three new tires, new brakes tomorrow, but I put the money away. Yeah. You know, I've not, I'm not expecting it to break down, but I put money away for if it does break down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how I try and get around it. But like I say, I've never, I have looked into it. I decided it wasn't, you know, Thank for you. me, shall I say. Well, I'm sure somebody more savvy with insurance policies, they'll probably find one that would be right for me. But <laughs> with my, the tools that are around me, I, I decided not to. No, that's fair enough. So I've got, Two quick questions left, and we haven't got much time left, so I need to ask them pretty quick. Yeah, the first one is, what is the top tip you could give someone for owning and running a business? Just go for it. Just go for it, yeah. Just go for it. Uh, put the put, put your homework in. Um, you know, watch. You could be as academically, you know, you could have just come out of a degree course. Um. Uh, and that will teach you, you know, a lot. But look at YouTubers, look at their day-to-day sort of strife. Uh, look at your kits, invest in the best quality of kit. Don't look at other people. Mm-hmm. And like like I say, look at other YouTubers, but don't think that should apply to you. Uh, just like when you see on Facebook groups where people say they're earning X amount of day, don't take that to heart. You know, look at what will work for you. Work out your own figures. Just go for it, you know. Don't put it off. If you can and you can do it, just go for it. You you know, if you're already thinking about it and you've already put things into place, you, your heart's pretty much decided. Yeah. You just need that little push. So my advice is if you've done it, you've crossed the T's, you've crossed the I's, all that jazz, I'd say just go for it. Yeah. Next very, question. Very <laughs> very positive <laughs> advice that is, Sam. Good, good to hear. And it the can final... be very hard, sorry, gardening, <laughs> self-employed. It can be extremely hard. You could have a week of rain. You can have one miserable customer that will bring your whole world sort of crashing down around you, you know. But you've just got to just be true to yourself, believe in yourself, and just keep going for it. That's it. Sorry, mate. Next question. No, that's, 
<laughs> That's all right. No, it's completely right. There's a yin and yang with everything, isn't there? But the last one is, how do people find you online? So if anyone wants to, if they've heard your story and they want to connect and ask you any sort of follow-up questions or just to hear more about you and the way that you work things, how can they find you online? Uh, I have a little Facebook page, which is, again, SGM Garden Maintenance. That's just something I have put there to stamp a presence on Facebook, a little bit of a placeholder. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is what a customer would see. So it's, you know, it's the advertising pictures there. You know, you can get this done by me at this, you know, stuff like it's like the business you want. But the main one is YouTube. It falls under SGM Garden Maintenance. And the channel is literally, it's just me going out there and, uh, you know, getting stuck into the gardening world. I'll show you the highlights. I'll show you the lowlights. Hopefully, I'll try and answer questions that you sort of don't see or, you know, you'll come up against and you might not find the answer. I do a little bit of tool review. Uh, but mainly it's just the ins and outs of me running my business. And at the moment, the forefront is the exterior cleaning. So if you want to know how to get into that, follow, you know, have a look. Uh, but like anything, don't just follow one bloke. Don't just follow one advice. There's a whole multitude of other tradesmen out there that are willing to give up their time and their knowledge for free. So don't just look at one person. Don't just look at me. Look at, you know, do as much research as you can. So, yeah, SGM Garden Maintenance. Another plug, if I can make it quickly. Yeah. There's the Grassroots Podcast. Uh, I have been on that a couple of times. And, again, that's two professionals, gardeners. You know, we've all got our own different ways. I know my way is completely different than the other people. But, again, there's just another source of sort of knowledge for people to sort of listen to on that podcast. Uh, and again, I do appear from it time to time, haunting them with too many words and too much conversation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, so for anything that Sam's just listed there, I will put in the podcast description below. So in the podcast and notes, if you scroll all the way down, you'll find all of that there and you can find Sam and you can follow him on YouTube and Facebook and see how he sort of advertises out as such. But Sam, thank you very much for joining us this evening. I really have enjoyed having you on the podcast. Yeah, it's been very, very enjoyable. Thank you. Not a problem at all. So guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please, you can also swipe down, like I say, towards them show notes, especially on Apple or through iTunes. You can find it and there's a rating button. If you can smash that rating and put a, a sort of comment or review in, then it is massively appreciated. It helps more than you know. So... Thank you for joining us this week on yet another interview. Like I say, you can find everything to do with Sam at the bottom in them show notes. Send him a message, get in touch, and let us know if you enjoyed the podcast. But until next week, we'll see you then. Bye-bye.